My friends, today, of course, we celebrate the transfiguration of the Lord as we do every year, every year on August 6th. It eclipses even the 18th Sunday in ordinary time. So here we are, great feast, an important mystery. And context is very important. Peter had just made his great declaration. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for. And Jesus says to him, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is Peter's great shining moment, of course. Then Jesus tells them that he must suffer and die before rising. Peter's shining moment, we know, is very short-lived. He then puts his foot in his mouth. God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus, turning to Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. Then, turning to everyone, says that we are to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow him. This is the context within which this mystery of the transfiguration should be explored. It is a pitiful point, pivotal point in Christ's ministry. Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was journeying to Jerusalem to endure his passion for you and for me. He begins his death march today in this transfigurational moment. His bloody death would be a cause for scandal. It will be a temptation to despair. But notice says Jesus led them up a high mountain by themselves. Peter had taken Jesus aside earlier. He rebuked him surprisingly and even tried to convert Jesus to his all too human ways. Now Jesus leads. He leads him and the others up a high mountain and preaches the doctrine of the cross. The transfiguration and our Lord's passion are linked. They are both glorifications. Note that Mount Tabor, the site of the transfiguration, is called Middle Mountain. It is geographically and symbolically located between the Mount of Beatitudes, where our Lord gave that uh, greatest of sermons near the Sea of Galilee, and Mount Calvary, further south in Jerusalem. On Mount Tabor, light pours forth from Jesus. On Mount Calvary, it'd be blood and water that would pour forth from his pierced side. Jesus led them up a mountain. He led them through many difficult journeys by themselves. The spiritual journey is sometimes a lonely road. We know this to be true, the narrow, less crowded path. He led Peter, James, and John, the same disciples that would be at the Garden of Gethsemane. It mirrors Moses' beautiful journey up Mount Sinai. He led Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. On Mount Sinai, thunder and lightning came from heaven. On Mount Tabor, it's light that shines forth from the divine person of Jesus Christ. He is transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. It recalls Moses' shining face when he came down Mount Sinai. But Jesus outshines Moses, doesn't he? 
Moses' face shone because it reflected the divine glory he had seen. Jesus' face shines with his own divine glory. And his clothes become white as light. You know, the novelist Julian Green remarks that Jesus' clothing would, of course, have been made by the hands of Mary herself. Just as she had woven the living garment of Christ's body from the cloth of her own body. So beautifully true. Another interesting and important note is that Jesus was transfigured before the cloud and divine voice manifest themselves. Even before the Father speaks, it is the gaze of the Father upon Christ's human nature that makes Jesus resplendent with glory. Just as Moses' face became radiant when he received the Father's gaze, so too Christ's human nature. Same happens with all of us in deep prayer and in the reception of the sacraments. There's so much that we can explore here, isn't there? Moses and Elijah, of course, they represent the law and the prophets. They were both well-known miracle workers who had fasted for 40 days. They were rejected by God's people. They had encountered God's glory on a mountain. They were assumed into heaven. Moses' tradition was assumed into heaven. Of course, Elijah on the fiery chariot. So many parallels with our Lord. Two great figures in salvation history associated with the end times, the eschatological hopes, hope for the end times, hope for the coming of the Messiah. It's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But there's more. This bright cloud and the voice that came from within it, a manifestation, of course, of the Holy Trinity, the pillar of cloud in the desert, same spirit, right, in Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments, that same Holy Spirit that would fill the tabernacle and then later lead it, today says, this is my beloved son, the Father does, with whom I am well pleased. The same words, by the way, that the Father used at our Lord's baptism. The beginning, a certain beginning of his uh, public ministry, Today, those same words at a certain end. For now, from this moment forward, he would go to the cross. Listen to him. You know, Holy Mother Church calls us today and always to have confidence in the Lord because we have seen glimpses of his glory. Jesus changed in physical appearance. He reveals his glory in part to offset his passion prediction. He strengthens his disciples' faith by revealing a trace, simply a trace, of his glory. The glory in his body will have after the resurrection. He wants them, he wants us to realize that his passion will not be the end, but rather it's the means, it's the route he will take to reach his glorification. And I don't know about you, but it seems surprising, right, that he tells them, do not tell anyone until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Perhaps because only his intimates are in a position to understand the unity of glory and suffering. Peter even writes about it many years later. What a uh, transfigural moment of grace in the life of Peter. It's no wonder they didn't tell anyone. Perhaps the only time in Holy Scripture that uh, that, uh, quite that 
direction was given that people actually followed the Lord. The mystery of our Lord's transfiguration is to strengthen all of us. It is to give us hope because life is hard. We know that our spiritual journeys are difficult at times. They are not void of suffering. They are not absent of the cross. We are called, like Peter, James, and John, to fall prostrate, to allow Jesus then to touch us, to raise us up, so that on our path to Calvary, we are able to, even with joy, pick up our cross and shine like Jesus, sharing in his divine nature. We must keep the end in mind. We must keep the person who leads us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We are called to follow him. He's going to the cross. We are to follow him, even when the world tells us otherwise. My friends, I know that many here have no problems identifying with today's gospel message. You experience the cross every single day. You are suffering. I know there are people here in this church that are perhaps very sick, or you have loved ones that are suffering with some terrible illness. Or maybe it's just simply, you know, we're getting a little bit older each day and we have physical and mental suffering. And, uh, or perhaps it's something like a job loss or some other crisis or an, even an identity crisis. There are so many suffering in so many ways, including with serious sin. There are many temptations, I know, like uh, with Peter, James, and John, to think that our Lord is not winning, that the kingdom is not coming about. But I pray today's feast gives you some comfort and hope, like it did to the apostles, because Jesus leads us. He's gone before us, and he is lighting the way. Today, we're called to embrace our crosses, and to do that with hope and joy, to open ourselves up to the grace to embrace them, but embrace them with joy, these crosses he allows us to have. Why does he allow these crosses in our lives? Well, it's for our sanctification, of course, but also his glory. And so we recall the words of St. Paul in Romans chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed for us. You know, my, my friends, I've been praying with some of the difficulties I've had in my life. And I notice a beautiful pattern, an important pattern to recognize that Jesus helped me through each of these difficulties by giving me glimpses of his glory. Powerful experiences, of course, in the Eucharist, experiences of uh, great love and mercy in the confessional, uh, and total peace in deep and intimate prayer. You know, even my father's death was preceded by a great glimpse of God's glory. Perhaps the greatest transfigurational moment in my life occurred the day before my father's death, my priestly ordination. You know, the grace I received in the transfigurational moment of my ordination helped me then, and it continues to help me every single day. It continues to prepare me, of course, for the various crosses the Lord asks me to carry for my own sanctification, for his glory, and for the sanctification and salvation of the people of God, his people, 
the people of St. Thomas a Becket. I lean upon the grace of my ordination. I lean upon the many other uh, transfigurational moments in prayer and in the sacraments every single day. My friends, I pray you have also received such signs. Actually, I'm quite certain that everyone here has received these graces, even though we're not always aware of these graces in the moment. Sometimes we don't discover the transfigurational grace until much later, years later, in fact. I pray that we have all been and will continue to be transfigured by the various signs that we have received throughout our lives, these graces. Perhaps we can spend this week praying about these graces, praying about these glimpses of God's presence in our life, recalling them in our conversation with the Lord, and of course, thanking him for them, leaning upon them when times get difficult, and sharing them throughout this week. And may God be praised. Amen.